Yeah. Yeah, old school. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, this ain't for everybody. Some of y'all need to hear this. Huh. I know you're in the trenches fighting, but check it out. I'm going to put it down like this so I can help the saints understand. Everything you're going through is all part of the master plan. Or what? You thought because you got saved, everything was going to be peaches and cream? You better wake up, son. Don't nothing come to a sleeper but a drink. Faith without works is dead. Read your Bible. You know what it says. He who don't work, don't eat. Blackers don't get fed. Huh, yeah. Jesus said, he who puts his hands to the pile looks back the same ain't fit. Some of y'all ain't been in the kitchen five minutes and you're about ready to quit. I ain't mad at you. I'm just hitting you with the real. <laughs> if you die for me and I was still tripping, now how you think that make you feel? Check this out. Deep game. This here's deep. Huh? Some of y'all ain't sawing nothing but you're studying trying to reach. Huh? But after him who was able to possess your father by his glory. Struggles might be part of your testimony, but it ain't the end of the story. Now the point is this prophesied way back in the day. Choir, sing your hook right here and see if the church can relate. I am here, sir, and I'm laughing. <laughs> Why are you laughing at me? Because we haven't been on the air in 30 seconds already. You messed something up. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what happened, can I man? say, man? You know, I thought what this can doesn't I say? sound like you. 
I thought that music didn't sound like you. I thought, wait a minute, I'm hooked up to the wrong show here, baby. <laughs> well, no, I want to start with Praise Master G, of course, which is my normal thing, but for some okay. reason my, my finger pushed the wrong button. Anyway, you know, usually I'm brilliant and perfect any other day, but every now and, I know. and then, you know, <clears> I tend well, to. Um, I don't know about perfect, but I know you're brilliant. So you got named the most brilliant questioner of the century last week. And you're probably well, still me, basking in the glow of that affirmation. I am, I am, and I'm gonna see if I can get a two. I'm gonna see if I can get a twofer too. You know what a two? You know what a twofer is? I know it is two in a row. Okay, I'm gonna see if I can get a twofer today. Well, we're gonna so, try. We're gonna try. Uh, who, who do we have the pleasure of? We have we have Michelle Glazer. Michelle, are you with us? Michelle? Hello. Yes, I'm here. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Well, I'm thrilled to be here. Well, not really there, but on the phone. Well, you're here. You're here. I'm Michelle, here. I'm going, I'm going to uh, give just a little bit of information about you, and then uh, Lamont and I have got about 100 questions for you, and Lamont has Sounds some definitely good. brilliant ones. He's got some brilliant <laughs> questions for you. But uh, okay. I just want to give you a quick introduction here. Did okay. I say your name right? Is it Glazer? Yes, it's Glazer. Oh, good. Okay, we have Michelle Glazer, who grew up in New York and only recently moved to Florida. And she pursued a degree in social work that, and with a concentration on addiction. She has a master's in education and social work. And she is also a certified hall and substance abuse counselor and is currently pursuing her Ph.D. in social work with a specialty in addiction, which is a pretty serious kind of Ph.D. Michelle <laughs> is currently a therapist at Singer Island Treatment Center in West Palm Beach, Florida. Michelle, we are really happy to have you today, and I know we're going to be talking about addiction and the family. And yeah. uh, we've got we've got a lot of questions for you, but that. Our surviving addiction as a family is really what we're going to have kind of a uh, positive uh, take on that. I have had a lot of families that I've worked with over the years who struggle with family members having addiction. And Lamont and I know that it's a very, very big issue all over this country. And so we're really happy that uh, we we have you here and we're going to ask you some questions about it, and please feel free to, uh, if people are listening in, please feel free to call us. Um, Lamont, could you tell them the uh, call-in number again, please? 646-929-2870. Uh, press number one on your phone. Let us know you're there, and we'll be glad to have you join in. So can I, I'd like to start with one question, uh, Michelle, and then we can just take off. And we're talking about families and addiction, and I know a lot of times people see the addict as the person with the problem or the issue, but you guys and I think a lot of people think it's important for families to be involved in the, in the recovery process. Could you say a little bit about that just to get you started? Sure, Absolutely. So I absolutely think that, one, the addict or alcoholic as an individualized patient 
if there, you know, no one is, you know, roaming this world by themselves. There's family, friends, spouses, you know, coworkers, whomever mm-hmm. you come into contact with on your everyday life can and will be affected by the addiction. Therefore, without with the only with only one person changing, the behaviors of the entire family or the entire community will be shifted in a negative light. So if I you know if I'm taking care of just not just but the drug addict or alcoholic, and I can't touch base with the parents or parents don't want to be involved or girlfriend boyfriend whatever it is, I get hesitant on sending them home to it's like a hostile hostile oh, yeah. environment. It's almost toxic mm-hmm. and I that I it just makes me very nervous. When I have, you know, when I don't have people on board with me, it's really important for support for right. the family as well as the individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mhm. I I um I well, what do you think? That are families sometimes um, resistant to that idea? Of course, yeah. So you have there's you know a plethora of different ways that that families can and will handle it. The the extreme would be this is you know fix my kid. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. This is not my problem. This is their problem. Then you have families that are over-involved, helicopter parents, and I'm, they're not even my parents, and, you know, I'm getting phone calls 1030 at night. Oh, he didn't call me. Is he okay? Did he take his medicine? Did he mm-hmm. sleep well? Stuff like that. So there's, you know, there's very large extremes to that. What I like to find yeah. somewhere in, is somewhere in the middle, some, you know, compromise, let's say. So that's, it's crucial to anybody's functioning. So, um, if I can, ha- you know, help in any way to make it a, an easier transition, let's say, I will do whatever it takes because it's really just well, let's, let's say that we, that we Let's say that we have a family and uh, there's a, uh, a late teen or early 20s uh, child who is the addict. Um, how do you like for a family to be involved with that? If it was like your perfect environment, a perfect <laughs> response, what would that look like? The perfect response would be one to if they're not, let's say, in the state of Florida, and I would definitely make a phone call by myself first to the family members just to mm-hmm. see. Sometimes it's a different side of the story. Sometimes the kid is saying, oh, my parents are X, Y, and Z, and then the parents are saying, absolutely not. That's completely false. They're, he's telling you absolute lies. So I have mm-hmm. to see both or however many sides of the story so I can sort of analyze the truth in all of it. And even if I can't find the actual truth, some sort of bottom line where we can start a foundation and move forward from that. Mm. And in that situation alone, a perfect situation, I'd have parents on board, I have boyfriends, you know, hum- husband, wives, kids, whatever it was, if I can get them to Florida for a family session or a family weekend or some sort of um, impactful way, be able to share what has gone on, what has it been like for them as an individual. It always has to be the I person. You can't, well, he did this and she did, no, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. I yeah. want to know how their behavior made them feel, them react, them behave. And then we can work through that. But I need everyone to be concentrating on their behaviors in this. Because I can tell you the absolute truth is that if someone's a drug addict, there's not anybody's fault, but the person who chose to use the drugs has to take their own responsibility for that. However, how it's handled can be adjusted to fit the scope of how it works out. Okay. So it's really, so, really important. So if I'm the addict, I have to finally come down to 
I'm responsible for what I do with my behavior, even if my family is screwed up beyond belief. <laughs> yeah, basically. I gave you the chief did Go ahead, Laurent. I was just going to say, aren't those the same people that feel like they can handle it, that it's really not a problem? Yes, absolutely. Everyone's, if, well, not everyone, not just a generalization. So a lot of times you'll find people like they don't want the people around them involved because this is my problem. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to get better. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go back. Everything's going to be fine. I have a client right now who's doing some, you know, doing stuff like that. And the fact is, is that if you change you and your your surroundings don't change, you're going to clash. It's it's not going to work. Everyone has to has to adjust behaviors. It's hard for parents or whomever, the family, let's say, to do that because they again will say, well, I'm not the one doing the drugs, and that's even harder. So sometimes you get three clients for the price of one because you're really modifying a lot of behaviors here. Well, what do you what do you say to a parent who says, I'm not the one doing the drugs? Well, I think that's great that they're not doing the drugs, but there's always, if they send the kid to treatment, let's say it was a teenager or whatever, however age, mm-hmm. and they're still living at home or whatever the scenario is, uh, there has to be something that's been going on in the life. There's a, there's a, everyone has their own life story. So in this life story, where are you, what role did you play in this story? And not, not to blame or to fall, but to be able to problem solve, completely solution-focused. Uh-huh. Right. And sometimes nothing happened. What if you had an amazing childhood and you were, you know, you were surrounded by love and affection and family, but sometimes things happen and, and you people don't know how to handle certain things. So you're going to self-medicate. And some people self-medicate with drugs and or alcohol. Some people self-medicate with, you know, relationships, codependent relationships, whatever it is. There's, a, there's, a, there's always a core to all of this. And my my job technically is, can I find the core? Can we, if I find the core, can I let's let's sort of reevaluate how this happened and let's see if we can look at it differently. So you can medicate yourself through therapy, through talk therapy versus drugs or alcohol. Family Michelle, as well. Let me, let me ask you a question. Uh, what do you think about the parents that are enabling? Uh, the ones that feel like, well, I know my kids are doing drugs, but if they're going to do drugs anyway, I would prefer them doing them at home rather than in the street somewhere. Right. So that happens so often that sometimes I'm just thinking, you know, I where, when I grew up, there was a house that people, the parents were okay with drinking alcohol because they were home and their kids didn't have to get behind, you know, a car and no one was driving or whatever it was. And somehow that was like the cool house. Yet at the same time, it was almost promoting that. Therefore, so people in high school thought that was cool. After the fact, that's not cool. I mean, the idea is not to say, you know what, it's okay as long as it's under my roof because I promise this, that alcohol is not the only thing that's going to be done under that roof. And where do the, where the lines get crossed? There's absolutely blurred lines there. If there's no rules, boundaries, regulations, some sort of setting where you can say, you know what, I'm the parent and we need to discuss this. If you're going to drink, we have to figure out how we can handle it. To, to sort of like co-sign it is reckless in my, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Right. But you said there's a ton of parents who do that, a ton. And they think, oh, well, I knew he was going to do heroin, 
so I and he stole my earrings once before, so I knew if I gave him fifty dollars, at least I wouldn't have to miss jewelry. That was like two weeks ago, and mom said that to me. Cool. So basically, said it's okay to use heroin, just don't sell my jewelry. They, yeah, and that's where you get the education piece. It's unfortunate because I know some people too that one one child was uh, stealing the parents' jewelry and going and selling it for drugs, and another child, the relationship, the brother of the same, went and bought the jewelry back, and it was like a repeat thing. One would go steal oh, it wow. from, from the parent and sell it for drugs, and the other child would go buy it back from the dope dealer. And that went on for a while until uh, the one brother said, listen, if told the parent, if you allow your child to steal it again from you, it's just gone. They're not going to you know, go retrieve it again. Right. That and that that totally goes right into the codependency piece there. I mean, there's no accountability and there's no it's there's a cause and effect and by you, you know, selling let's say the jewelry and getting the drugs and then the jewelry miraculously coming back, it's 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 basically saying you can keep doing this, I'll keep getting it. There's no there's no reason to stop because it's okay in that house. I and think it's we sad. Have another, that's terrible. I think we have another caller. Let me see who this may be. 424, you on? Hello? I guess they accidentally pressed one. I had a lot of background noise. Anyway, I'm sorry. That's okay. So if we're talking about... Um, Families who are in the midst of active addiction versus families who are trying to support the recovery process. How, what are we going to see this different in, in the two families? Well, again, depends on the family dynamic, obviously. But in active addiction, a family will either not, I mean, I, they're not going to be supporting it, but they're, you know, they're dealing with it because they don't think they can do anything about it. So it's almost, all right, well, this, you know, he's going to come to dinner. He may not show up. He may show up. Um, what kind of state of mind is he going to be in? Can I, I have to be, you know, supervising wherever they go. They can't get behind a car. Whatever it is, in active addiction, all bets are off. All bets are off. You have no control, and there's no way to, to bring it into some sort of realistic type of impression of what you expect. In recovery or in um, remission, let's say, the family is cohesive. They're working together, and they're becoming part, you know, like sums of a part. They're becoming part of a whole at this point. In active addiction, the person is completely isolated and is rejected, lonely, and sad. But, again, in the entire family, the mom is going to be sad, feeling rejected, like feeling like a bad mother. The dad, the same situation. Mm -hmm. Brothers and sisters, then there's no trust. In recovery, you're dealing with no trust, but baby steps. Let's get it back. Let's figure this out. Let's do it together. And there's love. There's always going to be love no matter what. But how do, you, how do you handle this love? Can you do it together? Will you fight? You have to fight. I mean, I tell all my clients all the time, are you willing to fight for this? Are you going to fight for your life? Or are you going to lay down and let this take you over? If you're willing to fight, I will help you fight. Let's, you know, and I say that to the parents also. You can do this. It sounds silly, but 
the removal of drugs or alcohol is the easiest thing in the world to do. I know it sounds silly, but the hard part comes once you detox. Then what? Once then you, you have no self-medication. Yeah, right. you have to sort of feel. And people don't want to feel. If you feel, you want to use drugs again. That's like the dance you do. Well, you know, I have a, a family that I worked with for a while, and they're not they're currently not seeing me, but there's a uh, a son and only child in the house. He's uh, mid-20s, and he does all the kind of stuff. He has drug problems, and he does all the kind of stuff that you were describing. He'd steal from his parents, and he'd sell things, and <clears throat> they would tell him he has to get a job, and he dropped out of school. He's still living at home, and I, I said to his mom one day, she said, what happened? And I said, what needs to happen? And I said, well, number one, there need to be some consequences. And right. I said, finally, um, I said, you know, he needs to know that if he if he uses, he can't live in your house. And she said to me, I could never do that. He's my son. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm curious. I'm curious what what you would say at that point. I know what I said. It didn't help. <laughs> so I'm interested in in your comments about that because I'm certain you have heard that story before. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> very, very often. This is the issue with that. I think a lot of times the addict almost wants to be kicked out because then they don't have to deal with anything anymore. I had a client who actually said to me she preferred being homeless than having a home with a parent with food and, and everything, clothing. She didn't have to pay for anything. But she preferred homeless, so she didn't have to deal with that. That's an odd situation. In terms of the family piece, I, I, I don't know how many times I've heard, I just can't do it. It's my kid. Because they think mm -hmm. if I kick my kid out, and let's say that night or, t you know, 10 days later, whatever it is, they overdose, they get hit by a car, they get raped, or whatever it is, they blame them. And that trauma mm -hmm. is something they will blame themselves for. So I don't yeah. know exactly if it's like a selfish thing. You don't want to do it because you don't want to deal with the consequences of your, re of your action or you don't want to deal with the consequences of their action. Well, the mother said to me, you know, I don't know what I, – I couldn't do that. He might end up on the street or – he wouldn't right. have a place to live or, you know, so probably something bad happens to him. I would never forgive myself. And I said, okay, yeah. well, as long as you enable him this way, he's going to use because there's no consequences. Right. So I think with that kind of family, the best thing you can do for a parent who just can't do it. And there's, I mean, so many families who just will not, they don't have the capability of doing that. The best thing to do is redirect them to if you can't kick them out, guess where you have to go? You're going to treatment. You're going to figure this out. We are going to do this. But right now, the only option you have, if you don't want to, you know, live on the streets, is I, you know, I will get you treatment, and and let's well, start let's, a new let's life. Well, let's talk about let's talk about treatment for a moment because there's is it, um, isn't that voluntary too? Yeah. Yeah. So the so unless, the, so the patient the so the patient can actually walk out whenever they get ready. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's again, it's a commitment, and I can't tell you again how many times I'm, you know, talking people off the ledge, because and it's sound, it's again, it's silly stuff, but ah, uh, there are no TVs in the room. There's no, I have to cook my own food. I don't want to come to group. Uh -huh. I don't, you know, I don't want to go to NA. I don't want to go to AA. And then you counter that with, well, what were you doing when you were home? Were you on the, you know? doing everything in your power to get your drugs that night or where you say oh this dealer can't get it to get 
to get to my house, so I am just, I guess I'm not going to do drugs tonight. That's not going to happen. You're going to find another dealer and somewhere else to get your drugs. If you're willing to, to do this, you have to do all of it. But they're going to so, <laughs> so let me ask you about that. So let's mm. say, so, uh, let's say this kid we're talking about is sort of hypothetical, but so mm. he has two choices. He could go into the facility or he could do an outpatient. Do you guys do that? Yes. What inpatient usually long? is? Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I, you respond. Go ahead. No, I, you know, I actually forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> you can tell me something about inpatient. <laughs> so this facility, the one I'm working at, is technically an inpatient 30 days. Uh, could be okay. 30, could be 60, could be 90, and then without everybody has to discharge to an IOP to someplace else like a transitional living a sober living you can't you know you're not just going to discharge home there has to be a step down process however american addiction centers has places all over the country now with the inpatient mm. plus the outpatient as well okay now is i'm, I'm going to ask you a hard question i know there's not a simple answer to it but i'm okay. interested in what you have to say about it and that is do you think 30 days is enough do I personally? Yeah. Personally, no, I don't. I Could you think talk a little that, bit about why you think Yeah, that? absolutely. I mean, I've done a ton of research on, uh, uh, and again, you know what? I, let me back up on this one. I think people can get sober and can never use drugs or alcohol again by going to a detox. I also think they can do it by going to AA and NA. I also think 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, however long can be enough. It totally depends on the person. I know people who went to detox have never used drugs or alcohol again. I know people who needed, you know, 90-plus days to get the information and, and sort of absorb it. Totally an individualized program. It's, a, right. it's just yeah. you can't pigeonhole it, but I personally think okay. minimum should probably be between, like, let's say 30 and 45. That's how okay. I would how I, I think. And after the thir after the initial thirty to forty five, do you guys usually recommend that there's a outpatient follow up program? What what do you always, suggest for yeah, people? Always. And how is the family involved in that? I'm, I'm interested okay. In that. So in the thirty day where I am, the thirty day treatment every month, every third uh, third week of the month, there's something called family weekend. So you will come in okay. on a Friday. And you have all day Friday, all day Saturday of family work. Individual, oh, do cool. an individual or two sessions with the therapist, but then it's mm -hmm. groups, other families involved as well. You hear other mm. people's stories. In an outpatient program, you're dealing, there's intensive outpatient or IOP or outpatient intensive is like four days a week versus outpatient being three days a week. The family okay. can be as involved as possible. It's not a requirement. It's never a requirement for a family to be involved. It's very, very highly looked good upon if you do do that. Michelle, have you, ever had, have you ever had the pleasure of treating um, a client that was an alcoholic and his family members were alcoholics also? Yes. I have had the active alcoholic family with the active alcoholic. Then I've had... Uh, alcoholic family with the family in recovery plus the active alcoholic. That's a, that's wow. an interesting dynamic because they think so, uh, it's so in the genetic. So you end up everybody. 
Yeah, I know. I'm so everybody. You. Yeah. <laughs> you, you get paid for one and end up treating nine. <laughs> Look, yeah. you get paid for treating one and end up treating nine. Easy. Easy. It, oh, yeah, it's it's unbelievable, let me tell you. You're never just treating the client, for sure never treating. It's always the minimum I've had so far is two for the price of one. The max has been like seven for the price of one. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's impressive stuff. Oh but, again, they're willing to work on it. If you're willing to work on it, I'll work with all of you. I will work with everyone if everyone's willing to work on it. I can't convince you. To, to be a you know to help or to change or to go to therapy I can't do that I can tell you how I think would be the best option that's all I can do. Well, at least at least you're willing to try to get to the root of the problem. It's imperative. If you don't get to the root of the problem, I can pretty much guarantee that it's not going to just be one treatment you go to. If you just close well, through 30 days and you don't deal with it. You're you're gonna always deal with it through drugs. Let me let me ask a question for people who are probably listening, and, and it's a question that comes up for everybody. And I'm sure somebody will call in and ask if I don't ask it. What do, how do we how do you deal with money about this? With getting treatment, you mean? Yeah. So if I'm if I want to go for 30 days, how does that get paid for? So most. Um, I don't want to say most. If you have insurance, most will possibly cover 30 days, and sometimes you can get extensions for the 60 or 90. If you can't, unfortunately, you know, there, it's not an, you know, it's not a cheap thing you're doing, but it, people definitely private pay a lot. Uh, sometimes there's, there's cases where there are rare instances where you can scholarship somebody. However, usually it's insurance. Or I have a lot of, um, like, VA clients right now, so they come uh-huh. from the West Palm Beach VA. So that's um, a contract that, that they got, so that's a different kind of thing. So. Oh, I see. It's interesting. Yeah. It's very, it's very interesting, especially big corporations also, stuff like that. If you work with them, there's a good dynamic between their case manager and us, and we try and work together as much as we can. Matthew, you was asking us yes, something sir. about finances. I thought you was going to ask the question such as, at what point does a person understand that they have a problem with prescription medication? Well, that's an excellent question. <laughs> that you is almost a tough said it was one of the century. You got you almost had the, the, the brilliant question there. Now, that was almost a twofer for you. <laughs> 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 We've been kidding around since last week because he was told last week he asked the question of the century. So, oh, see, really? yeah, M- Michelle, I'm in the entertainment yeah. business, and see, this has uh, been very prevalent for years. Whether it's you know cocaine, marijuana, alcohol, or now the big thing is prescription medication. And now your average everyday individual, you know, they're taking pain medication for working or joint back ailments or whatever. But um, right. you know they they're they're readily available through the doctors for whatever all their reasons are, and a lot of stuff you could buy online. But you know we're noticing now that people are taking more and more and more and more and more, and you know they don't realize that that they're becoming an addict, or they're an addict now, or yeah. they have a habit now. But they're explaining right. it away for whatever reason. So 
what point is it or should they say, hey, look, I have an issue and I need to go seek help? That's a great, great question. And it's a question that I have happens to have a lot of clients right now that are per, they're, they're here for Percocet. Now, they were prescribed it by a doctor. One had a back injury. One had a knee injury. Um, I have actually one person that is an amphetamine prescribed by doctors. And they say, well, it was prescribed. Why am I here, basically? So my question always is this. How many were you prescribed a day? Let's say you're prescribed three to five a day or whatever, whatever you're prescribed. Did you take three to five a day? 100% of the time, if I am talking to you, you are not taking the prescribed dosage. There's no, there's, that's not the case. So if, let's say you're getting the Vicodins or, or Dilaudid or whatever you're getting, and you get six a day for 30 days or whatever it is, and you're taking 10 a day or you're taking two at a time or whatever you're taking, you're abusing that prescription. Therefore, does that mean you immediately have an issue? No. But does it mean that you're now looking for the drugs elsewhere? Are you doctor shopping? Are you going to urgent cares all the time? Are you trying to get substitutes so you can get an, a, your opiate fix if you're running out of the meds? Are you moving to heroin because the pills are too expensive? They, these are like amazing follow-up questions, but the question always lies with, are you taking the dosage as prescribed? And if you're an addict, you're not. Right. You're not. Right. Or you're substituting client, it for something else. I have a client right now who is he's in recovery, but before he went into recovery in, uh, a couple of years ago, he was taking 18 Percocets a day. He's taking one almost every hour. I don't know how he even. I don't know how he even walked around his house. It's amazing, but uh, it's really powerful stuff. And really powerful. It, it really yeah. grabs hold of you and destroys you fast. Yeah, and interesting with opiates. If you are taking like the person who takes the 18 perks a day, let's say those people have been, you know have gotten their tolerance so high that those 18 may not even get them high at that point. Yeah. They might just mm-hmm. that might just get them to baseline. That may just be the yeah. function. So for someone who doesn't do drugs, taking three is too much, but someone who's taking 18 may actually need like 25 yeah. to 26 to get high off of it. Mm-hmm. And there's your, there's your reasoning for a lot of transitional use into heroin because it's way cheaper so that, than pills. That was my next question. The next question is about heroin. Yeah. And then so, I have, so then the I have question, one after yeah, that. Yeah, he's got one. Yeah, I, I was hoping to get a really Matthew. good Go question ahead. in there someplace, you know, but I think I probably <laughs> should defer to you. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm watching the, the news and talking to people, and I'm hearing that heroin is kind of making a comeback here. Um, what's your experience yeah. and, and your thoughts about that, Michelle? Oh, for sure. I mean, I would say 80 to 85% of my clients are heroin. Most are injecting, some snorting. But heroin is cheap. It's a cheap drug that is doing the job of your 20 Percocets a day for a what quarter of the price. Mean? Cheap meaning, I guess, I mean, inexpensive. I, I very inexpensive. We're talking if a pill on the street is, I know that a lot of my clients are paying 30 to $40 a pill for one, like Roxy or Oxy, let's say. Uh, heroin, $40 can get you like two or three bundles that can last you two wow. or three days. Oh my so God! Big, big difference in price. Big difference. Wow. And wow. unfortunately, with all this, uh, the new ha- epidemic of heroin, people are now cutting it with deadly substances. 
deadly. It's really very, very scary what's going on. I actually had a client who was a heroin addict, injected heroin, but would test the bundle of heroin with, like, pH balances. He was had a whole chemistry kit just to make sure it didn't have any fentanyl in it or any, any you know, those elephant tranquilizers that they're the car fentanyl yeah. and all that stuff now. But wow. he knew to do that. Like, yeah. that's the crazy part of the whole thing. Oh, I'm not – I don't want to die. I don't want to kill myself. Go, so why don't you go back to school and become, like, a neuroscientist or something? Like, this yeah, is what you you're got. using your talent for. Yeah, you gotta. He was be pretty a, proud uh, of it order, too. In order to yeah, be a exactly dope fiend, right. you gotta be a kid. Exactly. For you sure. never know what's in and, it, I guess. Yeah, and then they all turn out to start uh, cooking it. That uh, I have two clients that started cooking crystal meth. They didn't want to pay for it anymore, so they they have their own like Breaking Bad thing going on. Oh my god. So yeah, and this way it's cheap, and for them a trigger was public. Going to a supermarket, they couldn't go in. Because they got a lot of their supplies there. Wow. Yeah. Let me ask you a, cra- <laughs> ask you a crazy question, Michelle. I know mm-hmm. this very, 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 very famous music celebrity that's been doing cocaine for 50-something years. If he stopped right. doing cocaine, will his heart stop? No. Cocaine does not have any physical withdrawal symptoms. So you can do cocaine, I don't know, say every day for two years and then stop for three weeks and nothing will happen. You can actually have your heart, have a heart attack from too much coke though because your your heart rate is, is speeding up so fast and your blood pressure goes so high that that's why a lot of people are now, they mix the cocaine with heroin. Because cocaine is the upper, heroin is the downer and they're, or the, even alcohol is the downer and it balances it out. So you can do more and more and more but it will not. No, your heart will not stop from that. Well, isn't cocaine yeah. like some other drugs too? That the more you take, the more you need. Sure. Well, mo- every drug really is like that. So, um, cocaine so this has. He's talking about. He's been doing it for yeah. fifty years. Yeah. So well, that's well, different. That's, like, different. It's that's like, more mental. Yeah, it's kind of like the inside industry joke, uh, Matthew. This guy's been doing it so long. People say, well, dog, if he just stopped one day, he probably would die because that's become his regular diet <laughs> for 50-something years. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a good point. <laughs> I mean, but no, it, you're not going to die from not using drugs. I mean, that would be interesting change in, in scenery, let me tell you, because then I'll have people saying, well, if I quit, maybe I'll die. Like, that's not going to happen. What can happen is your um your body sort of gets used to that speedy that speedy feeling that walking around the pacing the the talking fast whatever it is but if you're not on it no you you'll you'll be very depressed very anxious very sad very lonely because cocaine specifically is absolute mental all mental stuff that happens yes you you need to use more because it, you will come down faster but if you mm. use it at day one versus day 50, you're always going to sh- uh, look for the first high. Your first line, your first injection, your first smoke, whatever it is, you're always chasing that first high that you'll never get. You'll never so get I that wonder, So I wonder when they used to put it in Coca-Cola back in the day, when did they start realizing that, that everybody was walking <laughs> around kind of 
fast and talking fast. Right. I don't know, but it's, it's true, right? That's an in, I, that always like surprised me that that you can get Coca-Cola with Coke in it, but there's the addictive thing is just the fact that you want it. It's not because you physically need it. It's because mentally you need it. It's different than like an opiate or her- you know, it's totally different than that. Yeah, the body's that, not it, screaming for it. Right. It's your mind no, calling it's out not. for it. Exactly. And to me, um, cocaine or the uppers are very difficult to help people with because once I, you know, because they don't want to stop because of the mental stuff, the behavior changing, whatever it is, the heroin, the opiate people, once they detox, they, of course they want to still use, but they're not craving it. You're craving the coke. It's like draws you in. It's very powerful. Well, doesn't caffeine have that same similar effect? It can, for sure. I mean, there, there's definitely people go to rehab who end up drinking an enormous amount of coffee just to get that shaky feeling, you know, when your hands are shaking, when mm. you can't sit still. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, they have that, too. It's what you do with it. Can you, a person is not going to have to drink 400 cups of coffee, but you will if you want to feel like you're on speed. I mean, it's all what you want to do with it. I was addicted to coffee once upon a time, so, you know, that's why I asked that. Do you not drink it anymore? No, I I had got to the point where I was ordering coffee from all over the world. I had just kind of went off the deep end. To see what you, you had did like you a gourmet coffee like addiction there? Well, because I just <laughs> wanted to know. You know, everybody said, well, you know, this is some good coffee or this is the best coffee, but... Your best might not be the best best, so I went on this mission to find out what was the best best in the world. So, well, how much were you drinking know. per day? So I think I think. <laughs> so I, yeah, that's the next well, question. Were you like taking baths in it, or you were like shooting it up, or what were you doing? Oh how my gosh! <laughs> well, I, I found out that I have somewhat of an addictive personality, so I found out that the first things for me to do is not like something because I end up going on the deep end with it. Same thing I did, you know, with my fishing poles, you know, like I, I found out that I like deep sea fishing. You know, I started out with one pole, now I got 100 poles, you know, stuff like uh, that. Oh, yeah, there you go. I figured out I have an issue like that, so I just tried not to like something because if I really, really like it, then <laughs> Good I'm, luck with I'm that. in trouble. That's going to be difficult. <laughs> I guess I'm lucky That's you don't hard. like me that much, then, huh? Aw. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, people, like, people get hooked on different things. It could be food. It could be shoes. It Some could be whatever their right? hobby is. You know? Oh, you get hooked on yeah. things. I see. Yeah, yeah well, that you well, can use okay. that. I like things, too. <laughs> see, there she that knows. doesn't mean you're addicted to up. it. <laughs> yeah, Michelle yeah, knows what's up. I, I know a lot of women. <laughs> but just because you like coffee from around the world doesn't mean you're addicted to coffee. You may just be addicted right. to the, the idea of finding the best thing ever. Uh-huh. That, that doesn't sound like it. a coffee, does it? Yeah, it sounds like you're like, I need the best. I want the best. Well, he never answered But it did start messing with my stomach, so the doctor told me it was messing with my stomach. Yeah, but you never answered the question. What was the question, sir? I asked you the question like twice. You didn't answer it. We all forgot. The question was, how much coffee did you drink per day? 
Oh, it wasn't a lot. You know, it was maybe two big cups a day. Oh, well, that's, oh, that's not bad. That's, I mean, it depends that's how big it's big. That's good for you. Was it the biggest cup in the world? <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> well, the recent research about coffee says, generally speaking, it's pretty good for you. But I don't know. Drink in 10 moderation. Or 12 cups a day is not so good. Yeah. Anything in moderation, except obviously the drugs and alcohol. But coffee in moderation, sure. I mean, if you can't sleep well, at night, I wouldn't recommend coffee. It's a good I, I, I would like that much out. I, I would <laughs> like to go back to the family and addiction there for a moment because I, I think it's it's an important topic and I I know in my family, uh, my oldest stepdaughter is a recovering heroin addict and mm-hmm. she's been clean for probably about twelve or thirteen years now and before wow. that it was about ten years of as bad as it gets. Really, right. as bad as it gets, on the street, disappearing. Um, and I was thinking about what you're talking about about what they cut it with now. At least once, and while she was using, she told me that she o- she overdosed on purpose. Uh, yeah. Because she That's was trying to commit suicide. Yeah. And whoever sold it to her had cut it too much, and she just ended up sleeping for two days. Thank God. Yeah, exactly. um, but she went. She finally went into treatment here in South Florida, and stayed in in her um, in a treatment center for for I think it was finally up to six. I think it was six months. Right. And finally got clean. And thank God for the last thirteen years she's been not using. And That's amazing. I, I think it's a, it is kind of a miracle story. I think. Um, and it, we went through all kinds of terror with it. Um, you know, she's my stepdaughter, so she wasn't my blood daughter, but I really did care. Her mother was, you know, we never knew when the phone rang if it meant that we were going to get a call. She was dead. Yeah, and, and that's it a was big a, fear, obviously. It was a long, terrible kind of thing. Uh, but I, I have a I client really, who OD'd 11 times. Oh, my God. She has there's a she has she thinks that's like funny or fun or some like a good story. You know what? People she never once in all those eleven times did, wasn't trying to kill herself. She really wasn't. But interestingly enough, the people who have needed the Narcan shot, those people are always looking. The second they get up, they're always looking for the heroin again because mm-hmm. they made it. They lived. Obviously, they're invincible. It's, it's oh, wow. again with the mental stuff. Yeah, it's really scary. And it's so they're so serious about it as well. That, that she doesn't think anything's gonna harm her. That 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 shot you mentioned is that the thing they they pump it in their chest or yeah. something or put it in that arm? Yeah, it's a Narcan shot. Exactly, it basically starts your heart again after an overdose. With something like heroin or an opiate, your your heart rate and all that decreases. So the pumps per minute lessen, lessen, and if you do too much or it's cut with something deadly, it can stop your heart. The Narcan will do that injection. Almost like what you saw in like Pulp Fiction to Uma Thurman, that mm-hmm. boom, and yeah. just, that, that's basically what happens. And then they say, well, where's the heroin? And my friend, the girl said, not my friend, my client said, 
oh, we threw it out because obviously either it was bad or whatever it was. She, and she still said she hasn't spoken to either of these people any again because they threw out her stash. They watched Whoa. her basically die for, yeah, she died once for like four or five minutes. And people saw her, and she only she stopped talking to them because they, she threw out her stash. Wow. That's how powerful this is. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's scary. It and is. she's homeless. Well, When it comes to people, relationship, and drugs, drugs usually win. Drugs will always win unless you get help. It will always win. Because for some, you know, for some reason in their head or in whomever's head, it's you're medicating yourself. So, so you're supposed to take Tylenol for a headache. But you know what? If I take two Vicodins, I'm going to feel way better than two Tylenols. Then it becomes four Vicodins, six Vicodins. If you're not willing to, again, fight... You, no one can fight for this for you. Nobody can do it. Your family can't. Nobody. <clears throat> Excuse me. You have to want it. And that's usually when people hit hit rock rock bottom, lose everything they have in the world before they get to that point till they have the strength to really try to do better. And it's unfortunate a lot of people hit bottom and still don't want to fix themselves. You know why? I'll tell you exactly why. Because every rock bottom has a basement. There's always a basement. There's always a basement oh, wow. in your rock bottom. There's, if you're one. alive, isn't it? But it's true. It could be Every worse, rock eh? bottom will have a basement unless you die. Death mm-hmm. is the ultimate rock bottom to drug addicts because you can't wow. come back from that. But it will always, always happen. Well, that's a good. That's a good. That's a powerful statement. Yeah, wasn't it though? I never thought about that. I always hear it, you know, hit the bottom, but hell, I never thought about the, even the bottom got a basement. <laughs> you know? Hell oh, yeah, it does. <laughs> well, if you're alive, I guess there is one. Something exactly. worse could happen. There's the next well, time. So, so I, I, I know it's ultimately maybe still a mystery, but Michelle, what, what do you think? Um, what, what do you think brings a person to the point where they finally say, okay? I got to turn around, go in another direction here. So, with my clients, on day one, I look at them and I say, "Are you done with drugs? Are you done?" And so far, nobody's done on day one. They're not ready to be done because they want them still. But on day 30, day 60, day 90, I'll ask the same exact question: "Are you done?" And without hesitation, most of my clients say yes. So I've learned through that process that behavior modification, therapeutic intervention, sometimes crisis intervention, trauma therapy, whatever it is, you need to learn about you in order to be done with drugs. It's nobody wants to go back to that life. Even the girl who OD'd 11 times, she does not want to go backwards, but she doesn't think she can go forward. So if you can't go Mm -hmm. forward, you don't know how to go forward, you're going to stay in the past. I can help them look forward. Let's figure this out so you can do that. But you have to be done. And sometimes you're not done. And sometimes relapse can be part of your recovery. Sometimes it doesn't. It's, again, how you play it. Elaborate on that that a little bit, Michelle. Uh, Relapse could be part of recovery. So sometimes people uh, will leave treatment and... All right, so let's say there's a, a guy who has heroin or whatever the drug of choice is. 
they, I don't really want to do this again. They have legal stuff. Their probation officer is drug testing them every two weeks or whatever the scenario is. And, and then they get off probation. So they're in their head, they're free. So technically, they can do whatever they want. They have to have in their brain, I don't want to do it. But sometimes you do, and sometimes they want to try it again. Sometimes that one try can kill you because mm-hmm. let's say you're doing three bundles a day and then you are sober for 60, 90 days and you do three bundles again. You're going to overdose because your body isn't used to that tolerance again. Mm-hmm. So relapse sometimes has, uh, in some people's stories, are part of it because it's part of the journey of look where it took me so fast. I got back to, let's say, the basement of rock bottom real fast and I don't want to go back there. Some people need to test it. Can I really? Okay, perfect example. Someone's a cocaine addict. They stop using cocaine, but they have a drink, a glass of wine at dinner. Then that turns into, oh, well, I I had one glass of wine. I was fine. Two weeks later, all right, let me try a glass and a half, two glasses of wine. By the time you're at two glasses of wine, even if you don't like the, the taste of alcohol, your inhibitions have lowered so much that... 100% 100% of the time, your next phone call is to get cocaine. Wow. There's your, like, cyclical way. I don't care what the drug of choice is. It'll never be as good as your drug of choice. Some people do weed, and if they smoke weed again, again, their their inhibitions are lowered, and, oh, well, if I could do this, then I could try heroin next time. And you fall right back into it. But then it's a journey, and sometimes that just that relapse can say, oh, my God, I can't do this again. And then you move forward. Oh, okay. But it's the realization, basically. Which all boils back down to the person that one has to want to change in order for it to be successful. Always goes back to that. Yes. No one can. I mean, there's so many people that I have parents. Oh, my God. If I could take their pain, if I could take this away from them. You know what? Or if there was a magic pill you can take. and If there was... I'm sure many, many people would want it, but if you don't want to get sober, you're not going to get sober. You're not. No one will convince you otherwise. If you have to, you really have to want it. You have to want it. Want it. Sorry. So you're. It sounds. I know we've been talking about drugs today. Um, you guys also help people in recovery from alcohol. Oh yeah, of course. Well, we don't discriminate with drugs or alcohol. All are welcome. Do you see a difference in the psychology of people who are alcoholics from drug addicts? Yes. I mean, it depends. Let's go backwards because, let's say, prescription drugs and alcohol are legal. Illegal drugs. So someone, I have a client who's who's an alcoholic, but he doesn't want to go to an NA meeting because he can't identify with the stories. Or he's not as bad as a heroin addict because he doesn't do illegal drugs. You, there's your, like, rationalization there. So in AA or NA, they'll say a drug is a drug. It doesn't matter what it is. But the, the mental piece and the psychological piece will dictate how you react to all of that. If you go to an AA meeting and you're a heroin addict and you say, hi, I'm X, I'm an addict, they want you to say addict alcoholic. Even if you say, oh, I really like to drink. It's how you do it. It's the legality versus illegal illegality of it that will make um, the alcoholic say, well, I'm not doing, it's not as bad. So they minimize it. 
and let me tell you, alcoholics will absolutely, they are just, it doesn't matter the, the legal status of any of these drugs, it will take you deep, dark into the depths of hell, and you will desperately want to get out, and you'll take help from an NA person or an AA person. does not matter. If someone puts their hand out and you want help, grab it and hope they can help you. But, yes, there's a big difference. So um, you're saying that uh, heroin is on the rise right now? It's been for a while now. So, uh, yeah, but right now they're cutting it with really dangerous things, uh, the horse tranquilizers, the elephant tranquilizers. And what is, what's your opinion about why? It's why they're being cut? Oh, yeah. because supposedly you get a better or a faster high from it. And okay. if you get a faster high, then you're going to get more. So drug dealers are cutting it with that so that they have, let's say, the best product, I sort see. of like the best coffee. <laughs> Different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I, I, that makes sense. Uh, so they run the, they, they, they're willing to pay the pro, uh pay the price yes. of the word getting around that it's dangerous people are dying because I guess people think it's not going to happen to me. Exactly. Exactly right. And then there's actually one strain that just came out that uh, the first responders, uh, the EMTs, whomever is trying to Narcan them have to put like double gloves on because whatever is, whatever is in this drug, like a gra- the size of a grain of a salt, if it touches somebody else's skin, can be toxic. My God. Yeah, that's like the newest one lately. I just read about that about a week and a half ago. It just blew my mind that it's not even the person. It's the person helping them that actually can get sick. Wow. Yeah, so that's pretty intense with that that's going on. And I think that's the carfentanil. That's pretty new that they're cutting mm. the heroin with. Wow. Mm. I don't know how you could cut if it was a grain. I mean, it sounds like yeah. It's, it's I don't. Oh yeah, I have no idea. Pretty they precise figure out work stuff. there. Yeah. Right. Well, cocaine is cut a lot with laxatives because people know cocaine, and then you're going to go. You have to use the bathroom. So if you don't have to use the bathroom, it's not good cocaine. Let's say that's generalization. So now people cut it with laxatives, even if it's bad. Okay. So. Let's say if a family has a member who is pretty clearly in trouble with addiction and that person is at that state of saying, you know, don't bother me, I don't have a problem, what kind of recommendations do you have for the family who's in that situation? I am a huge proponent of um, the Al-Anon or Narconon or even private therapy because sometimes you can't save someone else, you're going to have to save yourself. And if the family member is, if you have an active drug addict in your house, your concentration is very on, is they, are they okay? Are they using? Are they high? Are they, are, what's going on? Are they dead? Are they alive? And guess what else falls apart? Your job falls apart. Your family will fall apart. Your life will start to disintegrate because your concentration is strictly on the addict. However, for parents, I can't just worry about me. I have to help my kid. Again, problem solving. But what if your kid is so resistant and there's so much pushback? You have to do you. You have to because you're going to get sick and you're going to end up. A lot of times parents or whomever that can't fix, they end up using drugs and alcohol themselves. 
It's yeah. the therapist. Someone will put them on Xanax to calm them down or an antidepressant, and then mm-hmm. that doesn't work anymore, and, and you turn into a family of drug addict alcoholics because you no one knows how to, how to deal with anything. So it's really important for family members to very, very clearly know what they need and their wants in life because mm-hmm. following an active drug addict is not good. You're going to get hurt. Um, Lamont, are we, are we close to the end here where we need to give Michelle a chance to talk about what she's doing and do a little ad for herself? Yeah, we got a couple of minutes. Yep, 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 yep. So what do you want me to do? <laughs> <laughs> I sort of was listening. <laughs> what we thought we'd like to do at the end of the program is to give you an opportunity to tell people about your center and, and how they can get in contact with you or the center if they have they have a need for what we're talking about today. And, okay. uh, you know, how, how do people reach you if they have a problem and want some help? Okay, so absolutely. And, so it, and, and if they're going to bring okay. and if they're gonna bring nine people, Michelle, to let you know up front. <laughs> I'll give them another therapist. <laughs> That's all right. We've got plenty. <laughs> so basically the – company the corporation is called american addiction centers and they're all over there's palm beach there's vegas it's all over the world the website is www.americanaddictioncenters.org my phone number if anyone needs to talk or anything like that is 561-221-0256 if there's any recommendations or any referrals I can offer or help people with is absolutely my pleasure to um, help anybody in need because this is such a critical issue that needs to be addressed by everybody. Um, it's Great. a substance abuse, dual diagnosis, and again, it's it's totally inclusive. It, every You go to AANA, the time span is really depending on how much time they actually need and, and can deal with. But moving forward, if anybody, again, has any questions or anything, those are my um, contact information that, that I just said. Now, for anyone who did not get all her information, just remember that as soon, almost within a few minutes after we close out the show, it will be archived and be on the Internet. So um, it's always available for anybody who missed any piece of it. If you're listening, you can go back and listen to the whole show. Did I get that right, Lamont? Yeah. Got it right. It'll be available on all your iTunes podcasts, Spreaker. Uh, you know, you can get it from worldmovement.com, the website right on the front. The links are there. Um, Blog Talk Radio, uh, the links are there. Just Google the show, kind of play a play, and you could put Michelle's name in there, and the show will pop up for you. And like oh, cool. Matthew said, the show will be available in a couple minutes worldwide, and you could replay and hear the whole show in its entirety. And we'd like to thank you, Michelle, and our listeners. Yes. And definitely come back next week, 2.30, same time, and you could hear your guy, Matthew Anderson, and yours truly. And thank you so much, and we'll see you all next week. Mm-hmm.